You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. Hi, y'all. This is Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First and the host of this podcast, Women of Influence. This podcast features conversations with Columbus's leading women in business in which they talk about how they gained power, how they keep it, and how other women can follow in their footsteps. Today, we're chatting with Lori Kaiser, CEO of Kaiser Consulting. Thanks for joining us, Lori. Thanks for having me, Eleanor. So I want to start with talking a little bit about uh, consulting, which is such a big topic. So tell me, uh, in kind of a 30-second elevator pitch, what your firm does, kind of who its core clients are, and uh, what people should know about your business. Okay. We're an accounting and finance IT company. Mm -hmm. Most of our people are CPAs, but we don't do traditional CPA services like audit and tax, which most CPA firms do. We try to help companies learn to use their accounting data better and get all the information they need to make the right decisions for their business. Gotcha. And now you yourself, you are a CPA, right? I am a CPA. So tell me a little bit about what it looked like when you went into business for yourself and started this company. What was that thought process like? What were you doing before? Just take me through that. Yeah, so I um, came out of college with a an accounting degree and got my CPA right away and started my career at KPMG. Great place to work. Lots of big name clients, lots of interesting projects. I really learned pretty much how to run a business by working there. Mm -hmm. um, and what happened to me was about seven years into my career, I got pregnant and had started my family. Mm -hmm. And I was traveling a lot at that time, uh, more than 50%. And so I decided that between the travel and the overtime, that wasn't the best place for me to stay. Mm -hmm. And so I left trying, knowing that I would get another job. Uh, about three months later, one of my clients reached out and asked me to come and do project-based work for them. Mm -hmm. And so that's really how I started the firm. Within a year, I had more work than I could do myself, and I started hiring other people who, like me, wanted to stay in the workforce and keep working. Um, but full-time work wasn't really good fit. Mm -hmm. um, and this was in the early 90s. And really back then, people were working full-time or staying at home. There wasn't a lot of options in between. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's what something we were talking about before we started recording, that a lot of your workforce to this day is people who are re-entering or in kind of limited hours. Just tell me a little bit more about that. How do you facilitate that from a hiring perspective and from a 
culture, setting up your schedules perspective? We have a, a model that we use to staff all of our projects called optimum scheduling. People actually get to tell us how much they want to work, sort of a flip on us telling employees how much they want to work. Our team members get to choose how much they want to work, even the days of the week. They can take summers off. They can reduce their hours in the summer. Um, we let them tell us, and then we find projects that fit their availability. Mm-hmm. Does that present any challenges? Are there ever times where you, you don't have the staff that you need? or uh, Sometimes. So when a project comes in, if we don't have any current employees that can fit it, we actually have a pipeline of people waiting to come on board. One of the biggest challenges in Columbus right now is finding workforce mm-hmm. so companies can grow. We actually have, uh, that's not an issue for us. Mm-hmm. Do you find... Because of the flexible scheduling, and, and when you talk about reentering the workforce, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is somebody who's had a, a kid and stayed yep. home. So are you hiring more women then, or what's the, the gender So in the very then? beginning, we had mostly women because they were people that looked like me. You know, there's this <laughs> tendency for people to hire and um, promote people that look just like you, the whole gender bias. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely, that was existing in the beginning for me. Now we're about... women and 20% men. We're we're sort of the reverse of an average accounting firm, but that works for us. Was that something you were intentional about, about diversifying the workforce, kind of the opposite way that people think about, or did it just happen? Yes, we were pretty intentional about looking to be more diverse and getting people that didn't look just like my first five hires. Yeah, and why was that important? I think better decisions are made in a company when you have people with varying backgrounds and viewpoints. There's been a lot of studies that, you know, the more diverse your company and your decision-making team, the better answers you're going to come up with to problems. Mm -hmm. For you specifically, what kind of hours do you work today as the CEO? Well, I'm not very good at um, (laughs) keeping my work under control. I find all problems and all new things really interesting. So I'm always taking on more things than I probably should. But Mm -hmm. I actually now... um, about two years ago, I sold 20% of my business to my mm-hmm. management team, and they really oversee all the day-to-day, which has been great for me because it's, it takes a lot of the volume of decisions off my plate. And so when things are coming to me, a problem is definitely of the kind that I should be involved in. Mm-hmm. And that's actually let me do some really exciting things now. I'm teaching at Ohio State. I've joined a corporate board, gotten involved in a couple other nonprofits that are really important to me. I want to come back to selling the company, but first, when you talk about work that's coming to you, are you doing client-facing work, or is it like running the firm type Running work? the firm. Yeah, I was doing a lot of working in my business for the first 10 or 15 years, and it wasn't until I really promoted some people to take on more of the day, more of the day-to-day and started to focus on strategy and where are we going and culture that we really started to grow even faster. Mm -hmm. So while I felt like I wasn't doing real work, that was the work that I was supposed to be doing. Was that a tough transition? Do you miss the the working in your business now that you're working on the business? In the beginning, I really missed it Mm because it felt like the new things that, excuse me, the new things that I was doing wasn't real work, but it was where I was supposed to be spending my time. Mm -hmm. But I think people tend to gravitate to the work they know and what they're comfortable doing. And so I found that I really have to continually push myself to do the things that don't come naturally. Mm -hmm. I was just telling somebody the other day that my 56th year was the biggest learning year of my whole career. What did you learn? Well, I took on some very large speaking engagements Mm -hmm. that were definitely outside of my comfort zone. So I hired a coach to help me learn 
to be able to do that and to do that well. And it was a pretty big stretch for me. I spent many months working on that. Going back to when you decided to sell 20% of the business, is that something you'd been thinking about for a long time? Or what, what prompted the decision that it was the right time to give some of that away? So I had a great management team. And I, they were definitely part of the growth I had gotten to the place where I couldn't grow the firm anymore by myself. I had about 40 direct reports. I knew that the, com- the growth was not sustainable unless I did things differently. So we as a company implemented uh, EOS, which is Entrepreneurial Ownership System, which basically helps you take your company from being owner-centric to being management-centric. And those additional leaders were part of that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we went through that process, I could see all the value that they were going to add. And that by myself controlling everything, that was really holding the company back. Tell me a little bit more about what sort of changes does implementing EOS involve? How do you make that transition? Yeah, so it basically gives you a framework for um, implementing culture and disseminating that information, making sure that you have systems and processes so you can scale and grow the business, making sure you have the right uh, key performance indicators that you're monitoring and tracking, as well as kind of a host of things. It, it makes you run your business more standardized. And that was really, that really helped us um, instead of kind of continually looking at problems and trying to figure out how to solve them, it, it gave you a framework for assigning responsibility to that and, and putting a timeline and mm-hmm. getting it done. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Do you ever envision giving up more of the business or are you comfortable at the 80%? (laughs) No, definitely um, more is part of the plan. I have other things that I want to do in my life. And so I think continuing to pass along ownership to the next generation will only help me free up more of my time to do some of those things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we have have the most talented team around. But it's your name on the business. So does that make you nervous? Giving away more and more control of your things? So originally it did make me nervous, but what I found was it only helped the quality and the growth of the business to bring in and secure talent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You mentioned that this framework you implemented kind of talks about culture uh, and, and sort of how you disseminate culture. Are there any, going back to the sort of flexible schedules that you give your employees, obviously that is part of the culture, but then... Are there any challenges that having sort of people, I would imagine there are some people who maybe never see each other, you know, how do you, you know, create that culture? We try really hard to do a lot of employee, employee engagement events. We have a quarterly social event that everybody's can attend. Some of them are family events, some of our employee only, some of them with spouse, and we have a pretty robust newsletter that mm-hmm. goes out with lots of, here's the new projects we have, here's the new employees we have, here's where people are going on vacation. With a remote workforce, mm-hmm. um, most of our work is done on client site and not in our office. It's even harder to keep people connected. Yeah. So we do everything we can to make people feel like they're part, they're valuable and important part of our team. And what do you see retention-wise? You mentioned you don't have an issue of finding talent. Is keeping talent a similar strength for you? So our um, turnover rate is about a third of the rate of a normal accounting firm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just because if you let people decide how much they want to work and the kinds of work they want to do, they're happy (laughs) and engaged. All right, I want to go way back. You mentioned that your, your firm is, you know, kind of the inverse of a typical accounting firm. I imagine... When you were 
a student and going into being a CPA, it was a largely male-dominated industry at that point, right? right. So what, what was that like for you? What still, uh, what interested you in the field? And, and did you feel, you know, sort of unusual being a woman going into it? I asked like three questions. Yeah, at once that's thing. okay. <laughs> I'm a pretty quantitative person, so um, once I decided that I wanted to be in business, uh, gravitating to kind of the far quantitative side was pretty normal and natural for me. What I found when I got out is those technical skills helped in the first couple of years, but pretty quickly, within 18 months, you're starting to supervise other people, and I really found that that was where I got my energy from helping train other people and creating great teams and um, servicing the client. So within a couple of years, it was really all about managing the people and the expectations and transferring knowledge, which I found that I liked that part too. And mm-hmm. I think that's actually what's made me successful is building great teams and then also being able to take those teams and help clients solve problems. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest challenge that you faced in your career? So the biggest challenge that I faced was when I decided to turn Kaiser Consulting into a real firm. For a long time when I started doing project work on my own, I thought it was going to be a temporary thing, that I was just sort of filling in when my children were little and that when they got into school, I would go back and find, you know, kind of a real job. So I drafted a business plan and had this grand plan for how I was going to serve large companies and grow into a a big service firm. I met with a couple of people in town and everybody said I couldn't do it. Um, So I had this period of time where I kind of, flip-flopped. Could, could I really do this? People are telling me that I couldn't do this. And I decided that I wasn't going to let other people tell me what I could do. What was prompting them to say you couldn't do it? I think it was the inertia of looking at the way things were and then envisioning doing them totally different. Mm -hmm. So really, I was kind of an early disruptor to how things had always been. And so back in the 90s, people were like, well, you can't change some major fundamentals to how we do work. Mm -hmm. Is that talking about the the flexible scheduling and stuff? Or what else was disruptive? Yeah, they basically said big companies will not buy from you in the way that you want to provide services. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so now we have Cardinal, Nationwide, Honda, Express, Abercrombie. We have most of the big employers in town. So I'm kind of thinking they were wrong. (laughs) And at what point was that that you decided to turn it into real business? Were your kids still little at that point or was that sort of a new phase sort of um they were getting older Uh and I was sort of I had a handful of employees and so I was really kind of at that point where I needed to either really commit to growing I personally feel the hardest point to uh, grow a firm is about three to maybe 15 Mm -hmm. um with with just two or three people you can just know exactly what everybody's doing and you don't need to have systems and processes to get things done. Mm -hmm. But as you cross over into, you know, three, five, seven employees, you risk losing consistency and the quality of work. And so I needed to make some decisions around that point. Mm -hmm. And I decided to go for it. (laughs) What did it mean for your, you know, kind of the cliche of like work-life balance, your family life, stuff like that? Did that change a lot when you really went for it or was it pretty consistent? I am blessed with not needing a lot of sleep. So (laughs) I I would do client work during the day and I would do everything related to the business at night, the Mm -hmm. payroll, the books, the billing. And that worked for a long time. 
Is that still what you do? Oh, well, you said you don't do client work anymore. I don't so. do client work anymore, and I actually have a full team of people that handle all that stuff now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good, good, great. I'm glad you're getting more sleep, hopefully. <laughs> when you're talking about that growing and bringing more people on, it prompts me to think about hiring. What do you look for? You're asking these people how much they want to work, what do they want to work on. What are you looking to hear from them, or what do you what stands out to you in a candidate that you know there's somebody you should add to your team? So we actually have a whole list of um, what we call them success factors. So what's going to make somebody successful at Kaiser Consulting? Um, We can pretty much look at somebody's resume and tell if they've had the right work experience and they are technically competent. But we need people on our team who like to solve problems and who want to be an important part of a client team to solve a problem. We tend to like people, we call them, that have batteries included. Right? They're going to be out there at the client site, and they have to be a self-starter, and they have to be taking the first five steps and, and also kind of often prodding the client to take steps toward the solution because the vast majority of people don't like change. Mm-hmm. And so they actually have to be motivated to want to change and, and kind of prodded along the way. Let's talk about you a little bit more. So you are not originally from Columbus, right? I am not. I'm from Iowa. Ah, okay. And so how did you get from Iowa to Central Ohio? So I went to college at Miami of Ohio, mm-hmm. and I actually thought that part of my plan would be, go- be to go back to Iowa. But I interned here with KPMG, and I liked the city, and I determined that Iowa had insurance and agribusiness were the main industries, and those weren't very attractive to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a thing that we, we always ask people, like, what advice would you give you or I always ask people what advice would you give young people I think that as a 18 year old I did not realize that where I went to college would likely influence where I wound up living after college like because I too was I'm from Chicago and I was like I'll go back to Chicago and then I lived in the south for 10 years because you just go to school uh, I went to Washington and Lee in Virginia Uh so I lived in Virginia but you just kind of build your network around the place where you are and get to know that area so anyways do you still have family in Iowa I do and I go back there visit and were they, were your parents or anyone in your family entrepreneurs or was that totally new? Yeah, my dad was an entrepreneur and I grew up um, watching him try different things. Some worked, some didn't work. My dad, I remember distinctly, he had one business that was kind of a mail order business when mail order was kind of new. Mm-hmm. And I remember us uh, on Saturdays, as kids would go and help him pick and pack orders. Mm-hmm. Um, so I saw that pretty early on, but it was funny Now kids come out of school and many have aspirations to start their own business. When I got out of college, everybody went to work for a big company. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when I actually started, decided to turn my business into a real business, I didn't know very many business owners. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So that's one of the things I think is great about Columbus right now. There's a big ecosystem of startups and and ways in which business owners are supporting each other. Mm Mm-hmm. A little more kind of personal questions. Where will we find you on a free Saturday morning? Flying. I'm a pilot. Oh, that's cool. How long have you been a pilot for? Uh, About three years. What prompted your interest in that? So my dad was a pilot growing up, and I just thought it was cool. And Mm -hmm. when my kids left for college, I found that a lot of the fun things that I did in my life uh, revolved around them. You know, Mm -hmm. things that we did together or their activities or sporting events. And I needed something really fun to pull me away from work and make me stop working. Mm -hmm. Is it scary? There are some parts that are scary. (laughs) Do you own a plane or is there like a service that you rent? I do own a plane. Oh, wow. 
Cool. It's an older plane. Uh-huh. How big is it? It's a four-seater. Okay. And your kids go up in the plane with you? My kids have not gone up in the plane with me. <laughs> <laughs> they don't live in Columbus. So. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I have, my friends are divided up about 50%. 50% can't wait to go and love when I call. And the other 50% are really happy for me. And they say, but I'm never going with you. Yes, them. yes. That's what, if anyone in my life got into flying, I'd probably be like, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> do you do any tricks or anything? Or just No tricks. <laughs> but it's fun. I've taken the plane on business-related items. I've taken the plane to fly somewhere and play golf. Mm-hmm. I one time flew to Cleveland and mm-hmm. saw a concert. So awesome. it just opens the door for a lot of fun and interesting and unplanned activities. Yeah. Do you read many books or what do you like to read if you do? I'm an avid reader. Mm-hmm. I like to read nonfiction mm-hmm. that's interesting and reads like fiction. Mm-hmm. I just finished reading Bad Blood. Oh, yeah. A story about mm-hmm. Elizabeth Holmes. Theranos and everything. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Mm-hmm. I have not read that, but there's the documentary. And then I read a lot of the initial reporting in the Wall Street Journal at the time, but did you learn any lessons from that book that you applied to your business? (laughs) Don't commit Uh, fraud. Yeah, don't commit fraud. (laughs) Um, I would just say I, my big takeaway was she really kept people siloed in her business and used fear to control people. And I kind of found that was a big turnoff. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I was sort of intrigued about how she was able to fool so many people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty uh, uh, impressive is maybe the wrong word, but uh, interesting. Okay, if you could trade places with any celebrity for a day, who would you pick and why? Probably Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ah. She's sort of my personal idol, and she's done a lot for women and women's rights. And I think it would be cool to see what it'd be like to sit on the Supreme Court. Yeah, an admirable thing to, to be intrigued by. Okay, and then last question. If, if you were talking to a 22-year-old young woman just coming out of school, what's the number one piece of advice you would give her to follow in your footsteps? What's really helped me is to be curious, uh, to be curious about people. No one I meet is a stranger. I love talking to everybody. And I'm also curious about problems um, because I feel like If you can find a problem at your employer or just a gap, a service or a product that's missing, that's an opportunity for you to find a niche to, you know, build something for yourself or solving that problem for an employer is going to create a lot of visibility for you and create new opportunities. Awesome. I think that's great advice and uh, I really enjoyed chatting with you. So thank you so much. Thank you, Eleanor, for having me.